Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel, travel to wineries in Napa Valley, and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Audible. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by Stuart Mandel. It is Thanksgiving weekend, which means we just came off that weekend where the SEC really doesn't play a lot of good teams, but we've also had a lot of coaching news happen. We will get to that in a minute. Uh, Stu, what do you think is going on in Los Angeles right now? I thought it, I thought for sure that that crappy slate of games would, would result in a whole lot of craziness, and really the craziness peaked at about overtime of the Maryland Ohio State game though you did have an upset on your hands there in the in the uh, USC UCLA game so it, actually it, would, would Stu, it be safe to me I think the craziness peaked I I watched back the Citadel Alabama game so there was a for a brief set brief moment yeah. in the third quarter the Citadel takes a 13 to 10 lead they're they're tied at 10 at halftime Alabama fumbles the gets it doesn't just fumble a kickoff it's like basically helmet on football Citadel gets the ball. Citadel makes a field goal, but then it, this, the field goal gets taken off the board because there's a procedure penalty, and then they miss the 45-year-old field goal. Then, then it's all downhill. I can't imagine how how bizarre that must have looked to everybody if they were watching it real time with a a four and five FCS team beating the mighty Crimson Tide. Well, I think you knew eventually it would get out of hand, but it's true they had a chance to become the first team all season to lead Alabama in the second half. And you know what that just speaks to, Bruce? The power of the triple option. Yes. We'll get, yeah. Nick Saban, yeah, that's going to come up again later, but yes. Nick Saban in his interview at halftime noted that the Citadel was shortening the game. They were, they were um, taking away possessions from Alabama by running the triple option, which is why more schools should do it. But I digress. Yeah, so Chip Kelly has got to be the hottest 3-8 and eight coach in America right now. 3-8 and eight are the Bruins, but he just knocked off his rival – and now he's the one that's that's storming into town and has a program heading in the right direction. And Clay Helton is five and six, probably about to be five and seven hosting Notre Dame this week. You want to just put in a requisite disclaimer that we were recording this on Monday morning, just in case maybe something comes down from L- from USC later before you hear this podcast. But nevertheless, Tell us about the game you were there. Yeah, well, you know what? It's one of those things where my colleague Joe Davis said, you can throw out the records in a rivalry game, and obviously that's selling it a little bit, but he's right. I mean, it was a, it's always a cool atmosphere where you have, you know, those traditional uniforms. It's not, you know, it's blue and it's cardinal. 
Um, the Rose Bowl is as gorgeous a place as any. And it was Chip Kelly's first first time in this rivalry. You know, the thing that kind of jumped out to me, this happened in my column on The Athletic that went up Sunday night, kind of hits on the state of college football in Los Angeles, where you're right. I mean, this is a really interesting UCLA team in that they're 3-8. and eight. They only have one senior starter on both sides of the ball. And the way they ran it down... USC's throat felt very familiar, at least back to the Chip Kelly days. Now, there, he didn't have the speed of a LaMichael James or even Kenyon Barner. He had Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly, who had only one FCS offer out of high school, grew up a huge UCLA fan, went to UC Davis, where he was basically an average running back. Decided to transfer, got to his, his uh, dream school, and against this team loaded with five-star guys... He ran for almost 300 yards. I mean, that's more than half of what he had in his sophomore year at Davis. It was such kind of like a shocker to the people at Davis that one of their staffers texted a guy on the UCLA staff going, hey, is that the same Josh Kelly we used to have? <laughs> I mean, it was it was amazing. This kid's like, you know, the kid who's always smiling from ear to ear, just a delightful kid. And what I took from that is as you're watching them run all over USC was – this was the Chip Kelly where no matter what call the defense is, they're going to be wrong because he has all these answers into it. And there's some wrinkles that he's added, you know, from from his time away where his O-line coach, Justin Fry, came from Boston College. So you see some different things they do, but they just ran it down USC's throat. And, you know, this isn't like a great offensive line. They have 57 scholarship guys. But you can see this thing starting to turn at UCLA, whereas on the other side, it was, it was just a disaster for USC. I mean, they, they couldn't run the ball again. And then at the beginning of the fourth quarter, Mo Bamba's song comes on, and the USC, USC, USC players are like dancing in a frenzy onto the field. And everybody's like, well, what's going on here? You know, kind of thing. Are the, are the refs going to flag this? I mean, a week earlier, remember, they flagged one of the leaders of the team Iman Marshall for his behavior towards the sideline at Cal, which didn't, which kind of cost them or contributed to them losing the game. And right after this kind of display, USC gets a procedure penalty on coming back at the start of the fourth quarter. And they just basically were in neutral or, you know, going backwards from that point on. They got outscored 13 nothing. They just kind of fizzled out. And I had talked to, I got a call on Sunday morning from a old USC defensive player who was disgusted. He was like, you gave up 300 yards to an FCS back. You can't run the football. And then you show that fake swagger by trying to dance all over the place when you had no juice on the, on the sideline before that. He's like, it's embarrassing. What has happened to USC? And the question here is, to me, this just feels like a lot like the latter part of the Larry Coker era at Miami. Nice guy head coach in Clay Helton, brought some stability, certainly the first couple of years where it was needed, but after a while, the message gets tuned out, and I don't know what's going to happen with USC. It just seems like they, are not, they have lost their way. The only reason there's any suspense about this, I mean, clearly, clearly he's not the coach for USC moving forward. Frankly, people weren't all that confident in him even after the two great years, and now he's lost you know, any confidence, but the only, so it would be a foregone conclusion. Maybe they would have even made the coaching change by now. If not for the fact that Len Swan continuing a, a recent USC tradition of smart moves by athletic directors gave him this 
extension earlier this year with a huge buyout. So I don't doubt that Lin Swan, the comments that he has said publicly and that you've heard behind the scenes that he really wants to keep him were true because it's going to be extreme, extremely expensive. Pete Thamel reported about $15 million. Could be more than that. Could be. Le- to, could also be less than that. This is a private school. It's a private school. We don't know exactly, but but you got to do it. You know, you can't. There's no way they'll be able to go into the next season selling fans, recruits, assistant coaches. Like you know, they got to go hire an offensive coordinator. Who's going to come work there, knowing that the guy is on such thin ice? So I guess the question is: Okay, it's easy to say you need to fire the coach. It's not so easy to say who you're going to bring in instead. And don't give me this Jack Del Rio or Jeff Fisher or any more of these USC retreats. This needs to be a legit home run hire. And the one name, and you've thrown it out there and others have thrown it out there, that really intrigues me, but I think maybe people on the outside think, why on earth would he go there, uh, is James Franklin. Well, first of all, financially, it's very viable for them in terms of buyout and whether he can get out of his situation or exit Penn State. Now, people will say, well, he's a he's a Pennsylvania guy. Yes, he is. And he has really done a really good job in state college. Here is the reality, though, and I don't know if Penn State fans probably will not like to hear this, but if you're the head coach at USC, you have by far the best job, the best program in the conference. It is not even close in terms of if you have all these recruits in your backyard – you have manageable academics to get them into school. A lot of these kids, most of these kids, grew up dreaming of playing for USC. You have really good facilities. You're also going into, the, you would be going into the, the Pac-12 South when it is in complete disarray, right? If you're at Penn State, yeah, it's got great tradition too, and you got really good facilities. You also have Ohio State and Michigan in your division, not to mention Michigan State. I mean, I think most people who are who are objective and who are not diehard Penn State fans would say that's probably the third best job in the division, right? I would you agree with me on that? Absolutely. I mean, that's the reality of it. And you know, another thing that should be brought up is I don't know that the Penn State fan base has ever fully embraced James Franklin even after winning a Big 10 championship. I still hear the criticism every time they lose a game. They're 8-3, and three, you know, that's not a bad season by any means, but I'm sure a lot of people think it should have been better. So you could stick around and continue to butt heads with Ohio State and Michigan and try to keep winning everybody over, or you could go to a place that is so hungry and desperate to win that, you know, you will be, and it's Hollywood, you will be given the royal treatment the, the minute you step off the plane. Yeah, and also, you know, there's been times, and I would, the perfect example to me of this was Chris Peterson a couple of years ago when USC had reached out to him. Chris Peterson's a great coach. You and I both agree on that. I think Chris Peterson, and he will admit this, is not the ideal fit for USC. He is not a Hollywood guy. There's a lot of stuff about him that I think is just he'd prefer not to. Like Washington is a better fit for him than, than USC is. James Franklin, and I'm not saying James Franklin wants to have every practice and all the access that Pete Carroll had, but James Franklin's personality is a much better fit, I think, for Southern California. So we'll see. I mean, I think for the people who think this seems crazy, I don't. I think they're either really diehard Penn State fans and they see everything through that perspective, you know, or there's a few people out there who just 
think, and maybe they're right on this, that it's too far outside the USC sphere of, oh, well, we're going to get Jack Del Rio or some of the USC people who early on this year really wanted Hugh Jackson just because they have an affinity for Hugh Jackson from his time at USC 20 years ago. I don't know. I mean, if you were to look at the rest of the options for them, and let's just say that you're USC and you're approaching it as a really good school, much less not, not per se how USC approaches things, which is always bizarre, you would say, okay, there is Matt Campbell, who everybody outside of USC at least thinks is a rising star in the business and has done a terrific job at Iowa State. I don't know if I could see USC hiring him just because of how USC operates. Uh, Jeff Brom, who I think they should probably really consider, he probably will end up at Louisville. We don't know that for sure. I mean, there's been reports saying that's the case. I'm not sure that's that's anything like a done deal. But I think he's a guy. If you were USC, Stu, who else would you would you really consider for this job? I think you just named the, the you know Matt Campbell and Jeff Brown to me are the two home run guys that might be on that might be up for. I'm not saying either of them are desperately looking to get out of where they are by any means. And I do think Brom will end up at Louisville. In fact, Brom wouldn't surprise me if he had offers from USC and Louisville that he would still go to Louisville. I mean, this is just a crucial moment for that school and that athletic department. They have to, have to, have to end the cycle of hiring USC retreats. They've just got to go hire the best coach. And and I don't think it's going to be somebody from the Pete Carroll tree or from the oh, this guy coached or played here 100 years ago, tree. So um, there's a lot of good coaches out there. James Franklin's the only one that, to me, that's like, well, that that would be a no-brainer. And I know that, look, there are people listening to this podcast who think he's overrated, but uh, I think you would agree he's a, a big upgrade over what they have. And he is a big personality who I think would would do well in that market. When he was in Nashville with Vanderbilt, he was Mr salesman because he knew he had to do that to, to you know rev up interest in Vanderbilt he's been much more reclusive I think at Penn State especially with the media because you don't really have to do much to get a hundred thousand people to show up at that stadium but in LA now and and you know this well being there I mean the Rams are now the team there's no more this these are not the days anymore of well USC is the LA's NFL team the Rams are that team Chip's got going to gonna get it going at UCLA. Like You're going to have to sell that program. So it would make a lot of sense to me. One other qu- name. Let me throw this at you. If you were USC, you already screwed this up because you, you, you didn't wait for Chip Kelly the last time. Probably could have gotten him if they waited a, a couple more months. It would cost him quite a bit to get out of his UCLA deal. You just watch him whip you in a way that... You you're know, really going to go there, huh? Him. I'm going to throw it out. If you're USC and you have a lot of money... Would you consider doing throwing that money at him? He, so that's a, I'm just throwing it that's out. It's a bold you. move, my friend. I mean, Chip Kelly had a chance to go to the SEC and to Florida, and chose. Yeah, but he didn't want to. Be, he did not want to be the the mayor of of Florida. The, the mayor of Florida. Thank you, uh, the governor of Florida. Popularity. He did not want to be the guy at Tennessee who everybody's watching eat every meal. Yeah, you know, which is what you get. And he didn't want to live in the bubble. If you're the head coach at USC, you definitely have more of a bubble quality than you would if you're at UCLA, but it's nowhere near like SEC level. Hey, go for it. Throw a million, throw a gazillion dollars at him and, and see if he might. I mean, that would be that would be something. Uh, but I'm going to guess that's that's a long shot. All right, Stu, on the other front here of there was a coaching hire that was made over the weekend. It was one rumor has it that you are not a big fan of. 
and that would be LSU's former head coach, Les Miles, reuniting with his pal Jeff Long, the Kansas AD in Lawrence, Kansas. You mentioned giving an F to Kansas once upon a time. I know you don't do the grades anymore. What grade would you give this? I think anybody that read my column would know it's not going to be a very good grade, right? No, but would you give it an F? I no, I wouldn't give it an F. I, gave, I did once give Kansas an F for a coaching hire, and that was Charlie Weiss. This is not that. But I don't think it was the right move for Kansas. Um, you know, it's been interesting in the last 24 hours. So this column I wrote, which I'd actually written several days beforehand, knowing this was coming, uh, I went up Sunday afternoon, and really, I... I, I I know it was a strong take, so I understand why there'd be strong reactions. But here's the here's the puzzling part. Not puzzling. Here's the interesting part. Everybody in the profession, coaches, ADs, agent types, and then certainly my colleagues in media that I've heard from have said, "Man, you nailed that. That's exactly that's exactly right." You know, he he's you know, and the, and the gist of it is basically just Kansas needed to think outside the box. They're trying to get out of being the worst program in the Big 12. And Les Miles is not that. He, In fact, at that press conference, he kind of doubled down on the notion that, hey, are you going to change your offensive philosophy seeing as you got run out of LSU for refusing to change it at all? And he said, he didn't say no, but he basically just defended his track record there. Hey, when we had a great quarterback in Mettenberger and good receivers, we threw the ball. When we didn't, we ran the ball. There was no indication that he plans to do anything differently than he did before. Um, I didn't hear any sort of articulation of some sort of grand plan. And so that's the reason why people like me and, and others around the sport are down on the hire. That being said, 90% of the comments on that article, 90% of the tweets think I am a raging idiot. <laughs> Of course, Kansas should be thrilled to have national championship coach Les Miles there. Kansas, what on earth is wrong with you? Where are you on this? You know, I, I think our colleague Max Olson had an interesting column on Kansas probably two weeks ago. It feels like about that long ago where he said KU should go find its Matt Campbell, which is great. But I think it's hard to find Matt Campbell. I think it's harder to find it's it's harder to find the Matt Campbell in this situation than it is to draft a, a quarterback number one. I feel like a quarterback number one is 50-50. Finding the Matt Campbell is like 20-80. And so I think in a lot of ways, if you're Jeff Long, Les Miles is the easy hire because a little bit like Mark Rick going to Miami, you can generate money because he's a big name. People are like, whoa, it's a big name. It makes the, the boosters feel good that, hey, we got a guy who's won a national championship and people are going to be commenting because he makes Kansas nationally relevant in a way that, you know, I'm not saying Neil Brown would have taken this job. Neil Brown probably wouldn't. And so I think on that front, I get why they made the hire. And I think there's probably a lot of the f people, and I'm not speaking for them, who, who lashed out at you, who thought, you know what, it's Kansas how much, you know, how much worse could they do? And so I don't think this is Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss was a disastrous hire. He set the program back. I think it's a, it's a interesting hire. I don't know who else they would have gotten. You know, I know Jed Fish, who's now with the Rams, I think was in consideration, but I think it was always going to be Les Miles. And, you know, I think we reported that a couple of weeks ago that he was the front runner for it. And I think Jeff Long wanted to make this hire. 
It's a big name. I think part of why they did it, a big part of why they did it, is because it will get them, he feels like it'll get them into some homes and get people listening in a way that they probably weren't with David Beatty, even though David Beatty had great ties to high school coaches in Texas. We'll see. I'm curious to see how it works out. The question I would have, you know, and I would throw out here is, what is success, right? He won a national title at LSU. That isn't happening at Kansas. No way. The, I don't think he's ever going to win a Big 12 title. He's, he's 65 now. I think it's a big stretch. To me, and I said this before, like I, when they hired Charlie Weiss, I was like, there's no way he's going to have the level of success Mark Mangino had at Kansas. So if I asked you to measure it in this yardstick, in the next four years, do you think he will, and this is the way I define success or not, do you think he will get Kansas to a bowl game. I I could see it happening in the next four years. I think first of all, if you watched the other day, Kansas put up forty points and over five hundred yards against Oklahoma. And I know that the story out of that was how bad Oklahoma's defense is. But you know, David Beatty actually has upgraded the talent quite a bit there. They've got guys like Puka Williams. I mean, he's he's sensational. But it's not just him. It's so I don't think he's starting from quite as far down as people may think he is. I mean, they are still the worst team in the conference, but they're getting, I guess, closer to the nine, eight, seven teams. So yeah, getting into a bowl game, I think is realistic, but I don't think that should be your end game here. You know, you don't have to shoot that low. Why can't, I'm not saying big 12 title. I'm not saying what Mangino did. That was a very rare moment, but why, why, why shouldn't Kansas be able to do what Iowa state's doing right now? Or what, uh, you know, at the very least, what, Texas Tech does, you know, be in the mix for a bowl game every single year. And I don't I don't know that that's going to happen. You know, I'm I'm willing to be proven wrong, but I don't I just don't Look, I get why people are excited there about it. You know, if you're Kansas and you've been bad for as long as you have and this big name coach with the crazy personality comes your way, yeah, of course you're excited about it. I'm sure the donations will roll in. I even think he'll probably have a nice little uh recruiting bump at first, but those things, you know, end after a while. That, that splash ends after a while. What's your plan? How, what's your plan that's going to distinguish you from the other teams in the Big 12? And uh, that's why I thought they should have hired a triple option coach, singing the praise of the triple option. When you don't have the talent, it's the great equalizer. And I think uh, you saw that when Army went and played at Oklahoma. I would have hired a triple option coach, not a guy who is going to just try to line up and and be tougher and have more will to win and all those uh, all those Beauchamp-Beckler truisms. Yeah. Uh, selfishly, uh, I am glad Les Miles is back in college football because I think it's more fun when he is. Uh, but if you said to me, and I'm not sure they could have gotten this, but if you said to me they're, they were get hiring Munkin from Army or Les Miles, I would probably... F- probably feel like they'd have a better chance of winning more games if they hired Munkin and not Miles. But we'll see how it goes. You know, Jeff Long's paid a lot of money. He's got a lot of experience. And let's see if he's right and Stu's wrong. Let's see. I mean, it's going to take three or four years to find that out. Back to the pod in a second. Stu, I don't know anything about business, but you do at least a little bit. So help me out here. Well, I think you need to start getting up to speed more on investing because you're an adult and you have children and you need to be investing more. And Robinhood is the app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. So I've been using the Robinhood app. 
and I love it. It's no commissions. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade. But Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees on trade stocks. Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Bruce, I love how easy it is to use. They've got easy to understand charts and market data. You place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone, which is pretty crazy. Four taps, suddenly you own stock. And for you, Bruce, I think the most important thing is you learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. You discover new stocks and track favorite companies with their personalized news feed. So for our listeners, here's what you need to do. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock. This is not a joke. Free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at audible.robinhood.com. That's audible.robinhood.com. There's some really big games this weekend we need to get to, but real quick, another job came open. Mike McIntyre fired at Colorado after they started 5-0 and and then slipped to 5-6. and And in your coaches, your column on The Athletic about who to look for in that job. You had a very interesting name, frankly, one that would surprise me even more than Franklin going to USC if this guy left his current job for Colorado. Yeah, it's Dana Holgerson, who's done a really good job at West Virginia. But there's always been, a, there had been in the past, a little bit of friction with the AD and him. Now I think it's it's smoothed over and it's better. But he's been there a while. He is, uh, he's 18 and eight in big 12 play the last three years. And I think one of the challenges at West Virginia is recruiting wise, you know, the expectations at West Virginia are, are pretty high because they've had a lot of success before, but that was in the big East where they were in better position than they are now in the big 12, where much of the power base of the, of the league recruiting wise is, is really close to Texas. They're not. So that's, uh, made it challenging. I think the timing might be right. Now, we'll see you pay enough to get Dana Holgerson out of there if they really want him. We'll see. I think I think personality-wise, he'd be an interesting fit. I mean, as I wrote in the column, he personality-wise, he and Mike McIntyre are really different guys, but um I wouldn't rule it out. They this job this I think this is going to be one of the better jobs that will come open this winter. A couple other guys I would say keep an eye on. Jeff Tedford, who has quietly done a great job at Fresno State. 19-6 and six the past two years. He's 57. I don't think that's an issue. As we reported, Brian Harson from Boise State, I'm told this is one of the jobs he would consider. The only other job he's been rumored for that I, I heard he was actually tempted by was Oregon. Would he leave there? And also would CU go this route? Because remember, they hired Dan Hawkins from Boise, and that didn't work out well. Matt Wells, our friend from Utah State, he's had a great year, 10-1. and one. His name is hot again. I could see him. I think you agree with me. We both could see him at, at CU as well. And then there's some other names that I think are, you know, coordinator guys who I'm not sure that they go in that direction, whether it's a Jim Levitt, Ryan Day, a Jed Fish. Maybe they, go, maybe they would go back to uh, Mark Helfrich who worked there, but I don't know if the timing works out there. If they can get Dana Horse and go for it, he – Yes, they lost this past weekend, but they are playing Friday against Oklahoma for a spot in the Big 12 championship game, most likely against Texas. If Texas beats Kansas, that's a that's a they're having a great season. So if you can do that, great. If not, I, I would just write a check to Matt Wells like that's a no. So you would t- you would take Matt Wells over Brian Harson and Jeff Tedford. I think Matt. Well, uh, yeah, I, I would. I, I'm not down on Tedford. I think he's a really good coach. I think. 
I'm not sure if I'm a Pac-12 school that I'm going to hire Jeff Tedford if I go and look into the, kind of the end of his tenure at Cal and if you care at all about academics and graduation rates. It got really ugly there at the end of his time at Cal. Uh, Brian Harson, to me, is that really the job you leave Boise State for? And now also, as you pointed out, that's – you know, that's not going to sit well given the Dan Hawkins thing. Now, Brian Harson is not remotely the same personality as Dan Hawkins. But, uh, yeah, Matt Wells is a rising star. He has been for a while. He's producing the, the most powerful offense in the country this year outside of Oklahoma or Alabama. Now, I, I, you, you want him to be able to bring his OC with him because <laughs> I think uh, he's had as much to do with this as anything. But, yeah, I would feel really good if I'm, if I'm CU and I get Matt Wells. Fair enough. Okay, there's some big games this week. I got a big game this week, Stu. Our crew is going to Pullman. I'm actually going on Thanksgiving. Uh, We have Washington State, which technically still has a shot at a playoff spot, right? Am I wrong? Um, Absolutely. Uh, It'll be interesting to see where they are on Tuesday, but uh, still very much in the mix. And obviously, this is is for the division and a shot against Utah in the um, Pac-12 championship game. Am I wrong to think Gardner Minshew should be in the Heisman race? I voted him second the last couple of weeks. I mean, look, to me, he's the biggest difference. This team, a lot of people thought was a four or five or maybe a six-win team going into the year. Now they're a top 10 team. He's the difference. They're playing with such a high level of confidence. It's pretty remarkable how far they've come. Well, he did the other night uh, against Arizona, seven touchdown passes. It's, it's been interesting. Chantel Jennings had a story on The Athletic Monday about Minshew and coming up you know, through the air raid system. And it brings up this – she brings up this uh, philosophy that Hal Mummy has had for a long time that basically about halfway through the season is when you see these air raid quarterbacks really take off. They've had a certain uh, – 5,000 snaps practice games. And – He's been pretty good from the beginning, but I really saw saw it start to take off um, around the time of that Stanford game. And now he's just playing at such a high level. So to your, you're asking about the Heisman? I am, yes. I think there's, you know, and our Heisman poll reflects this. I think we're down to three guys who could win it. Obviously, Tua with the, you know, it's his to lose. But there's only three guys left that could win it. And frankly, they may be the only three guys that get to New York at this point. Tua, Kyler Murray, and Gardner Minshew. I had Gardner Minshew second on my uh ballot this week hey while we're talking this for a second our our uh, colleague joel clatt uh tweeted out something that he is you know it sounds like his vote would go to kyler murray um that surprised me a little bit just to me it's two was to lose i feel like he's such a difference i actually have Minshew second i mean look kyler murray's been been fun to watch and he's been terrific like, I just, again, I think if there's an MVP, it's Gardner Minshew. If there's a most outstanding player, it's Tua. You see it the same way? I think the thing that works against Kyler Murray, and look, he's a phenomenal player, is they just had a Heisen winner last year. And so it's harder to look at this and say how much of it is him and how much of it is the offense. Whereas you've seen Tua transform, completely transform Alabama's offense from what we've always seen it to be under Saban. You've seen Gardner Minshew come in and lead Washington State to its first 10-1 start since 1997. So it's just a little, you know, the, the reasons there are a little easier to define. But what I want to ask you is, like, the Gardner Minshew has been one of the, the mustache, has been one of the, the best stories of the season. 
Um, the guy could have been a third stringer at Alabama. He ends up at Washington State. Look what he's doing now. Are we overlooking Washington here? I, I know that they you know, lost their third game pretty early, and so everybody forgot about them. They can win the division if they win this game, and they've still got a very good defense, some very good DBs that if anybody could could end this run. And by the way, they've absolutely dominated Washington State since Chris Peterson got there. You know, I just feel like people are maybe just it's a, acting like it's a foregone conclusion that Washington State's going to win this game. Yeah, you're right. I mean, our crew did the Apple Cup last year, and they blew Wazoo off the field. You know, the, I think since Chris Peterson's been there, they have beaten Washington State by an average margin of 27 points. I mean, it's not even been close. The question is, has Gardner Minshew made Washington State such a different team? And it sure seems like he has. This isn't. This has been a little bit of an underwhelming UW team. And uh, I think, I don't know. I'm, I mean, fortunately, I do not pick the games I do. I, I was I was really impressed. I got to watch a lot of the Wazoo-Arizona game. Now, granted, Arizona's not a great defensive team, but I was really impressed by just how smooth this offense is. The receivers are playing at a really high level. Their O-line, with a first-year O-line coach, has been really, really good. And defensively, Tracy Clays quietly you know, has transitioned from Alex Grinch there, where they, by the way, lost Hercules Mata'afa, by far their best defensive player, They've been really good on that side of the ball. So I'm excited to see what it's going to be like on, on Friday night in, in uh, Martin Stadium. I mean... It's going to be rocking. It's gonna, you're going to have a good time there. Here's a crazy question for you, Stu. It's probably not going to happen. But if they were to get in the playoff, they probably are only going in as a four seed. I would be fascinated to watch the Mike Leach-Alabama-Nick Saban matchup to see, okay, what are you going to do against this offense? Has Saban ever faced Mike Leach, do we think? I don't think so. Not to my knowledge, he hasn't. I don't, I don't um, know where he would have. I know that Texas... Because t- Leach wasn't a head coach when Saban was at Michigan State. And then Saban went to the NFL. He was at LSU. I don't think they would have played Texas Tech. And then he went to the NFL and then he came back and they haven't yeah, played him. Texas Tech played Alabama in a Cotton Bowl, but Mike Shula was the coach then. So... Yeah, it would be awesome. Let's be, let's be honest. It would be awesome. Now, Gardner Minshew has definitely kind of transformed the whole aura around that team. But also, and this is an important thing, the, I guess the question, the question that, and it's the same thing in the Washington matchup, is the Washington State offensive line has been so good all season. Can Is this the caliber of defense that maybe gives them more trouble than they've had? You know, if you're Washington, you're looking at the blueprint of the Cal game, where Cal won... I mean, Washington State won 19-13 on a last-minute touchdown. And if you look at it, you say, oh, Minshew had similar stats to what he usually has. But, you know, that's the key with them when you're facing a Mike Leach team. Just keep them out of the end zone. They're going to get their yards keep them out of the end zone. And that's certainly what Washington's going to try to do this week. There's also this little game going on in Columbus, Ohio, you might have heard of. Yeah, before we get to that game, I do want to ask you. So I didn't get a chance because of our game to see any of the Ohio State-Maryland wild game that it was. But And we've talked a lot about Urban Meyer's health. What do you? So you watched that game, I gather. And what do you make of it? And what do you make of his situation now that you've kind of had the time to absorb it and see it in real time? It's really hard to watch. I'm, you know, I... 
it's frustrating that people I, I know why I understand why but the people on Twitter mock his health and think he's faking it or whatever you know I don't make jokes about somebody's health I don't think the doctor that put out that statement a few weeks ago was making it up that would be rather um, illegal on his part he's got a cyst on his brain and it's apparently gotten worse the he has stress related headaches and he clearly gets very, very stressed in these tight games when his team is making all these inexplicable mistakes, penalties, turnovers, letting Anthony McFarland, the Maryland running back, run for 75 yards on you every other play. It is really hard to watch. They cut to him. I would say at late in the game, they're cutting him after almost every snap. And he would be bent over or hand on his head. I think sometimes you'd see him walk on the sideline and you'd see like, for a split second where it looks like he gets lightheaded and has to right himself. Brian Fisher uh, tweeted out a picture, a screen cap, where it was a timeout. I don't know if they were coming out of the timeout or it was during the timeout, but the Ohio State offensive players are talking to their assistants, and Urban is 10 feet off to the side, bent over, in pain. Not just in pain. He looks like he's in excruciating pain. Excruciating pain. And he keeps downplaying it and trying not to make that the story, but how how can you not notice that? So... He's going to have a decision to make after this season. That's that's for sure. I just don't know how you continue to do that week in and week out. You know, maybe there's something that can be done, procedure, surgery, to alleviate it. But the job's not going to get less stressful. Let's put it that way. And it just it, he just looks like he's absolutely miserable. And of course, and it's hard to bring this all up and not mention obviously the fact that he almost lost his job and clearly feels like he's been portrayed unfairly uh, in terms of his role in the Zach Smith situation. I think all of this, the stress of that, the stress of his team not, I mean, they're 10-1, and but they're not playing the way his previous teams have, especially on defense. Well, you know what, Stu, it feels a little bit, now it's different different, uh, ailments, but it feels a little bit to me like the Jerry Kill situation in Minnesota where you have a head coach who is in a very stressful job and it's not the stress certainly doesn't seem to help his health situation. And you start wondering, just from a well-being standpoint, is it so detrimental that you have to think of maybe a, 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 different, uh, a different lifestyle? And I'm sure um, it's impossible for him to – I mean, he did take the year off after Florida and he broadcast games, but he – coaches want to coach. And I'm sure he's going to do everything in his power to try to continue to make this work. But, my gosh, how can you be – how hard must it be to be his family watching that? Yeah, also, you know, this this is way before our, both our times, but Eric Parsegian was a great coach, and then eventually I think he walked away pretty early. Bob Stoops, now he didn't have these health issues, but he had family health issues, and he walked away and seems to be very, very happy. Now, they're different personality guys, but it's, you know, it's going to be an interesting situation to uh, – to, to monitor going forward this offseason. In terms of this game, Michigan, it's the first time since 2004 Michigan has been a favorite at the Horseshoe. And they lost that game, by the way. That was a big upset at the time. You know, it just really feels like, it feels like the tables are turning. Ohio State has dominated this rivalry for so long, but it does certainly seem like Michigan is the better team this season. Now, Chase Winovich, their star defensive player, is hurt. We don't know if he's going to play. You love asking me questions like this, so I'm going to throw it in your, back at you. What percentage chance do you give Ohio State to win this game? 
Ohio State, I give them a 49% chance to win. Wow. So you're basically saying it's a toss-up game. Yeah. I mean, look, they're still really talented. They have a a terrific passing quarterback with with good receivers and a couple of good running backs. The question is going to be, can their offensive line hold up? Winovich or not, Don Brown gets after you. They're really good on third downs, and they the way they get after you, uh, they're playing with a lot of confidence. But this game is at Ohio State. I think when those Ohio State players, they're in the locker room, they feel like we're better than those guys, we're tougher than those guys, and that confidence is going to help them. And by the way, Dwayne Haskins, even though this is his first year as a starter, he went in the tough situation last last time out last year, and he responded really well. So I think I know he has confidence in it. So questions are going to be how well will the Ohio State O-line hold up and will they give up more big plays and can they overcome if they do? And, um, you know, I like I said, I give them a 49 percent chance. If I had to pick one, I think I would pick Michigan. But I don't expect them. You know, I, I don't expect Ohio State to, to just not show up because I feel like they know how big of a game this is. And they're playing. They'll 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 feel like this is it for them. And. I, I expect them to respond. Oh, they'll show up. There's no question about that. I think I would put it more like 42%. The thing is, you said something before that I think we all kind of just assume, and I'm starting to wonder if it's truly the case. You said they still have a lot of talent. They do on offense, but at what point do you, after 11 games of giving up all these big plays to Purdue and Maryland and Minnesota, I know everybody just, Ohio State fans are totally blaming it on Chiano and the failure to make adjustments, at what point do you just have to kind of concede? Well, maybe after all these years of having DBs drafted in the first round every year, and and uh, and I think it's the stat is um, 15 defensive players the last three years drafted in the first four rounds. Obviously, you lost pro- one of the best defensive players in the country in Nick Bosa going into this year or early this year. At what point do you just have to say, you know what, it's just not as talented a defense as we're used to? And given that, I think Michigan may... Be, you know, Michigan's probably going to be able to exploit that. Yeah, I mean, they have not replaced it. Uh, you know, it, it eventually happens. It, you know, it just happens when you have a lot of three and outs. And they've given up four plays of 80 yards or longer. Uh, nobody else last year gave up that many plays of that length. They've given up Crazy more that. plays of 40-plus yards than all but six, t- six of the 130 teams in FBS football. Here's a crazy stat, by the way. So they've given. There's one other team who's also given up four plays of 80 plus. You want to guess who that is? I'm guessing since you're saying it's crazy, it's probably somebody decent. It's probably somebody who has a great defensive coordinator. It's Virginia Tech. Uh, well, they've had they've had a. If anybody's Obviously, had a worse year on defense than Ohio State, it's been Virginia Tech. That's for sure. After they lost all those guys in the offseason. believe it or not, Ohio State is tied for tenth in the Big Ten in defense and yards per play allowed with Rutgers. Oof. Yeah, it's pretty say bad. No, say no more. <laughs> it's say it's no pretty more. bad. Now, I think they're going to be able to need to. They're going to need to run the ball because Michigan has the number one pass defense in the country. So I don't think having Dwayne Haskins throw fifty times is going to be the right formula. He'll eventually have sacks and turnovers and and whatnot. They were able to run the ball against Maryland uh, with Dobbins. So you know, I think it'll be a close game. I don't think Michigan's going to go in there and blow them out. Let's put it this way: if 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 Harbaugh can't win this one. He's going to take so much heat because this is if you can't beat this Ohio State team, when are you going to win this game? Agreed. Back to the podcast in a second. Hey, you know, what's funny, Bruce, in uh, 
you know, I got a lot of angry Kansas fans in my mentions right now because of this Les Miles column. And they've gone and they found a column I wrote for SI.com many years ago, grading the coaching hires and giving Kansas an A for, at the time, for hiring Turner Gill. The crazy thing is, Stu, did they find the column where you gave the can't you an A plus for hiring Charlie Weiss? Wasn't that you? No, as I pointed <laughs> out to them, as I pointed out to them, I actually gave them an F for Charlie Weiss. That was smart, but the Turner Gill A or A plus, whatever it was, not smart. But you know what is smart? Going to ziprecruiter.com slash TASB, as in the Audible Stu and Bruce, to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. And that rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. So, Bruce, here's what our listeners need to do. Try ZipRecruiter for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B. ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, Stu, we got to get to the mailbag. You ready? Let's get to the mailbag. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Yes, I was going to finish your sentences. <laughs> All right, Stu. This, uh, let me start with Jonas. Stu, on your last few bowl projections, you had Alabama playing the number four seed in the Cotton Bowl. Just curious as to why the Cotton, not the Orange. Not sure about the criteria for locations in the semifinal, other than what would be the most advantageous for the number one seed. Wouldn't that be Miami over Dallas for Alabama? It'll be Dallas. It, it, yeah, the committee puts the number one seed in the one that's more advantageous to them or the one that's more desirable to them. And Alabama has definitely ex- – they expressed this the last time it was the semifinals where this rotation has definitely expressed their preference for cotton over orange. So, I mean, I think you're probably looking at them in in Dallas and Clemson in uh, Miami – and if Notre Dame wins against USC this week, it's probably going to be Clemson-Notre Dame. You could probably, you know, lock that in unless, of course, Alabama loses to Georgia. Fair enough. Rafael Garcia, we, brought, we mentioned the uh, uh, Oklahoma defensive struggles earlier. Bruce and Stu, it's been frustrating to see OU waste two of the greatest seasons by quarterbacks in college football history with a poor defense. Can you really say they wasted last season? They were, they were in the playoffs. Winning Big 12 titles isn't enough. Oh, okay. Well, I guess there you go. Pete Golding is a name being floated around as possible hire. Do you all have any thoughts on him or other defensive coordinators OU should target? That's a good name. Uh, Raphael's right. Uh, I've heard that rumblings from a couple of coaches as well about Pete Golding. Was at UTSA very impressive if you ask people inside the Alabama program of what he's done there. Uh, another name I would, wouldn't shock me if it got in the mix was Tim DeRuiter, who's had a really good year for Cal. He did well as the uh, DC at Texas A&M a long time ago, or not that long ago, I guess, but it's been a while. I could see him potentially in the mix, but Pete Golding is definitely somebody I, I would say keep an eye on if, uh, if OU, they're going to pay a lot of money because remember, they're not paying for an offense coordinator. That's Lincoln Riley. So that money, I'm not saying they're going to pay $3 million, but they, they could be competitive financially with anybody because you're not paying 
a offensive coordinator on that side of the ball. What was amazing about Pete Golding is that nobody had ever heard of him until Nick Saban plucked him from UTSA last year. And now we're talking about him as the hot defensive coordinator candidate uh, for one of the better jobs in the country. Okay, if money is no object, do you make a run at Dave Aranda? That'd be a big run. Dave Aranda's making a lot <laughs> yeah, he of money. Is. He's making 2.5. I said Oklahoma would spend a lot of money. You'd probably have to spend $3 million for that. Yeah, I'm not um, sure Joe Castiglione is going to spend $3 million for a defensive coordinator as, as badly as they need one. Can I throw out uh, Jim Leonard at Wisconsin? You could. Now, Jim Leonard had a lot of offers last year. Florida State tried to hire him. A few other places did. He knows he's got a really good situation. He loves it where he is in Wisconsin. He's from there. He believes in the place. I'd be surprised if he'd make that move mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't th- I mean, Manny Diaz has done a really good job as a D.C. at Miami. I just I mean, he, that's home for him. So I don't know if he would do that. You know, there's a couple other names I would maybe consider in there. Certainly Golding's high on the list. But just in terms of, of big school guys, I don't know. Here's one that maybe you would consider is, you know, Utah has a really, really good defense. And they've consistently had it. Now, Kyle Whittingham's hands on. But, you know, do you, do you go that way? So we'll see what, uh, we'll see what direction that uh, Lincoln Riley, because they got to make a move there. The other name I would say to keep an eye on and – it's uh, it's Jay Bateman who is at Army, and remember, Army almost beat OU. Jay Bateman's done really well there. Now I think he's going to be in the mix for the Charlotte head coaching job, but if not, I mean, his name he had some interest for no- the Notre Dame DC, and they opted to go in house. I think Jay Bateman is somebody they will look hard at if uh, if they kind of really open their search up. By the way, Bruce, we need to wrap this podcast soon because you're overdue on your. When are you going to file your? Top 10 candidates for the Charlotte job. It's coming, Stu. Don't hold your your breath. Scott Armstrong, longtime reader and listener of both of you. Thank you, Scott. I would have emailed the podcast before, but the email Bruce mentioned never worked. Ouch. You're right. That's I'm not good with stuff like that. On UCF, Utah and TCU both won several BCS bowls versus the BCS schools prior to joining their current conferences. Does the fact that neither school has consistently dominated their current Power 5 conference strengthen the argument that UCF would have lost by now if they had to play eight-plus Power 5 schools a year? Should UCF try to schedule three-plus Power 5 schools at a conference? Thanks for your question, Scott. Stu, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting Scott brings that up because I actually that has actually kind of informed my uh, opinions in general about the group of five because when in 2010, when Boise State had that great team, Kellen Moore, Great, de- you know, a lot of defensive players that went into the NFL. Like I thought that team, they were, they rose to number three in the country. I legitimately thought at the time that team could win the national championship uh, if they got the opportunity. And people, of course, would you know they had a lot of haters because that's what we do in college football. For some reason, we root against the uh, Cinderella. Would say, well, if you put them in the SEC, they'd be eight and four. And I'd say, oh, that's baloney. But what happened with Utah and TCU when they first got to their Power Five conferences? kind of confirmed that that's probably the case. They took them years to build up their depth to be able to compete. It took Utah longer than it took TCU. I mean, TCU won the Big 12, I think, maybe in their third year. But they had to build up the depth to compete in a Power 5 conference week in and week out. So, look, I think UCF, I think I have them ranked seventh now. Uh, I think they're absolutely one of the better teams in the country. And if you put them in a one-game situation against – 
I would say anybody outside of Alabama or Clemson, I would definitely give them a shot. But if you play, put them in 12 games of uh, where eight of those are against Power 5 teams, no, I don't think they'd be undefeated right now. So I hate using that as a arguing on why somebody shouldn't get in the playoff because it's totally, you know, it's totally theoretical. Who knows what would actually happen if they're in one of those conferences. But those, the experience of those two programs definitely informed my opinion about it. And should they try to schedule three plus Power 5 schools out of conference? Yes, they should. Uh, I don't know how realistic that is. I don't know how many Power 5 schools are lining up to play UCF right now. They would probably have to play at least two of those on the road. So, But yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take that kind of ambitious scheduling for a group of five team to get into the playoff. All right, good stuff, Stu. John Beano, how Stuart Bruce, how are Jeff Brom and Les Miles taking the jobs at Louisville and Kansas viewed as improvements over their present jobs? Stay with us here. I know you're going to say Les Miles' present job. What? Jeff Brom is leaving Purdue. That, as Northwestern demonstrated this year, has just as much of a chance of winning the Big Ten West as anyone else, given the upgrades and facilities Purdue has invested in. For Louisville, where he will receive an annual butt kicking from Clemson for the foreseeable future, I also can't see how the Kansas job, where you always be second field to basketball, is a better job than retirement for Les Miles. Okay, first of all, Les Miles desperately wanted to get back into coaching. That happens with a lot of highly successful guys. It's just they doesn't work out. They can't get back in, or they can't get back in at the level they're comfortable with. We saw that with Philip Fulmer. We saw that with another SEC coach, your friend Houston Nutt. Uh, Les Miles was able to get back in. So I think we're happy for him on that front. We'll, like we said, we talked before. We'll see how it goes. Um, Louisville is so different for Jeff Brom. I mean, that's home for him. That's home for his family. His his brothers are on his staff. His son is very is very you know is very prominent around the Purdue program. I know I know they like it there a lot, and I know he's happy with how they built it. But man, Louisville will be tough for him to pass up. Yeah, it's I, it's hard to explain to people, but. It's not just that he's from there. Like the Brom family is an institution in Louisville. So going back to his father, who is a longtime coach there. So for them to have an opportunity for one of the Brahms to be the head coach of the hometown school, that's like I, I don't necessarily disagree with everything he's saying about it possibly being a lateral move. It's just not for this particular coach. All right. Uh, next question. This one's for you, Bruce. Joe O from Cary, North Carolina. With so many former OCs like Seth Luttrell, Jeff Brom, Chad Morris working their way up the head coaching ranks, why isn't the highly regarded Jake Spavital a head coach yet? I've never even heard his name discussed for entry-level openings, Bruce. Why is the West Virginia OC not in the mix yet for head coaching jobs? Well, a couple of things. He has interviewed for some for some jobs. He interviewed for the Tulsa job a couple of years ago when Philip Montgomery got it and he interviewed for the Cal job when, when uh, Justin Wilcox got it, he's only 33 years old. I mean, he's still really young. I think he will be in the mix for uh, the Texas state opening. I, I think he will be a little choosy on, you know, where can I go somewhere that's in a good opportunity? Cause I think he, his wife was a, was an athlete at West Virginia. They have a young family. I think he likes where they're at. So I don't think he's just going to jump at any job and be desperate about it. So we'll see what, you know, I think he's going to be a head coach within the next two years. I just, I just don't know. Will it be at Texas state? Will there be something else? I could see him at one of those jobs or at an, at an AAC job. He's done well as an offensive coach. 
He's a really good play caller, but he's also a great recruiter. If you look at some of the players he's he's been able to get. So I think it's only a matter of time with him. Mike Solakian, and thank you for doing that phonetically, Mike, has a question that you 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 would be able to answer better than me from your time spent on the sidelines. He said, I'm watching the end of the Ohio State-Maryland game and saw a shot of Matt Canada yelling at the refs after a penalty, and it got me thinking, Bruce, can the refs actually hear the coaches when they're screaming at them if the refs are standing out in the middle of the field? It seems like a wasted attempt to argue their case. I'm pretty sure they can. Now, I'm not in the middle of the field when a play is happening, but I use this example. Pat Fitzgerald, a couple of weeks ago when they were playing at Iowa, there was a play that happened in the red zone and he was apoplectic for a minute and you could hear it really clear now could the the officials on the other side of the field hear it no but certainly some of the refs i'm sure they could hear it in the middle of the you know in the middle of it i know you can block out as much as you can block out but sometimes when when a coach is screaming his head off in the middle of something you're going to hear it it's just i think there's no way not to from chris sedenka in east coast portland hey guys i know fcs isn't the hottest hottest topic but I think a mention of what Joe Harrisimiak and the Umaine Black Bears have done this season is so far amazing. This is going to be our uh, collective shout out for this episode. All right. The season started tragically when freshman Darius Minor collapsed and died on the field during a pre-camp workout. As awful as the event was, to watch the team rally behind his memory has been unbelievable. Here are some of the highlights. Beat rival UNH for the first time since 2010 came from behind to beat fbs western kentucky beat villanova at the horn with a 52 yard field goal beat uri at the horn with a 39 yard field goal beat towson on the road with a goal line stand beat elon by one to clinch their first caa title since 2013 clinched a bye and a seventh seed for the ncaa fcs tournament oh and did all this with just four home games for Stu, Coach H took this program over at just 29 years old, and what he has done in that time is amazing. Remember his name because we won't have him for long. Thank you, Chris. That is actually excellent intel. Yeah, it is. I was not aware of that. Um, I don't pay as much attention to FCS as I probably should. I know North Dakota State's still really good. That's pretty amazing. That's a pretty amazing run of accomplishments there. And uh, I'm happy for you guys because I made my first ever trip to Maine this summer to visit one of my wife's friends, and uh, I ate a lot of lobster, and I really enjoyed it. So good for Maine. Yes, another uh, another proud Springfield College graduate who has produced many uh, many good football coaches. There you go. All right, well, big week, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving holiday, and enjoy all of the football. We'll see you next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank our producer, Nick Fink, and we'd like to thank Kevin and the Octaves for our intro song, Dangerous. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, what are you waiting for? Read both myself and Bruce and all our other great writers there. Go to theathletic.com slash theaudible and get 25% off. You can also follow our coverage at The Athletic CFB. You can follow me at SL Mandel, follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. We'll see you next time.